I wish I watched it with people. I think it would have been more fun with people instead of with my two-month-old daughter. Yeah. Like, having, She's not like, going to appreciate it. The Devil's Burn. An explosive film. Absolutely brilliant. ABC TV. Superbly, frighteningly effective. Time magazine. But of course I can prove nothing. This Mother Superior may be little more than a hysterical nun. Exactly. Mere conjecture. And what form does this incubus take? <laughs> the Devils is not a film for everyone. Vanessa Redgrave, Oliver Reed, in Ken Russell's film of The Devils. This picture has been rated X. No one under 17 admitted. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm Johanna. And with us today is... Jason Staley. And uh, we are here to talk about the 1971 historical drama horror film by Ken Russell, The Devils, based on an Aldous Huxley novel. But before we get into that, Johanna, what have you been watching lately? I just finished up season two of Good Omens, which I wasn't sure what they were going to do with it because I think season one covers everything that's in the book. So going to new material, have John Hamm in it. He's pretty excellent. But I'm such a huge David Tennant fan that, you know, I was like, I don't I don't actually care if they end up totally ruining this. Like, I'll just do it for, for more David Tennant. But I figure it was worth mentioning because it thematically ties into the film we're discussing today with all of its criticism of religion and whatnot. But yeah, as it turned out, season two of Good Omens was actually pretty good. Just as entertaining as the first season and ends on an interesting, interesting note teeing up a season three so highly recommend how about you eric what have you been watching i think last night i watched lost in america which is an albert brooks film albert brooks he's a very interesting writer and actor because his films are like a slow burn and he's been ripped off so much in the decades since that what was obviously really pretty revolutionary for the time in the mid 80s now seems like a bunch of people have done it but it's about a couple that drop out. They decide to quit their jobs and just like go on the road. It's made, I think, to be a parody of all those kinds of films where people like go find themselves and all that. And it ends up being a horrible decision. And <laughs> they end up losing all their money and they're living in this Winnebago and like life gets worse and worse and they fight all the time. And it's supposed to be a comedy, but it plays it straight. It never tells you it's a comedy it's never like an in your face ha 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 with, with jokes and stuff like that it's more like just this absurdity of the situations that are like oh my god like this sucks but is hilarious at the same time that's great once again we have jason staley back on the show he produces the super satan show uh which is a sort of interview and music related show uh 
Wayne's World with a Satan puppet. Yeah, hosted by a Satan puppet. But aside from the show, there have been a couple of live concert events that have happened based around the Super Satan show. Do you want to let us know how those happened? I go out and I have to meet these bands. And I also, while I'm out meeting these bands, I meet the people that run the bars and own the venues and stuff like that. And uh, over the years, I've got to make friends with uh, my very good friend, Morella Riley, who runs the Southgate House Revival here in, uh, in uh, Newport, Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati. Come on down. I asked her if I could book a show there, you know, like maybe I could get a, a night, maybe on a stage because this, this place has three stages in it. One's a very, very big room, and one's a not so big, and one, you know, one's upstairs, and it's a decent sized room too. And she was like, "Well, if you want, I can give you the whole place. So I give you all three stages." And I was like, uh, um, uh, "Okay, cool." And but I, I know enough musicians. At that point, I'd had you know done enough shows, and you could string enough bands together to where I'd be like, "Hey, you want to play this gig?" and the bands that reached out that wanted to do it was overwhelming, quite honestly. So, yeah, it, it, it fell together pretty easy. I called it the Super Satan Fest. And the night we were doing it, we were putting up decorations around the building or whatever. And I was next to the bartender and the bartender gets a phone call and he picks up the phone. He's like, Southgate House Revival. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, then. And hangs up. And he looks at me. He's like, that was weird. I was like, oh, yeah? Well, what's up? He's like, yeah. This guy just called, and he's like, hey, uh, you doing that thing, that Satan thing down there tonight, that Satan thing down there tonight? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, all right. Well, I hope that place blows up. <laughs> and and we all had a laugh. And, uh, you know, it was funny, you know, and, but they wound up checking bags the rest of the night for explosives. Yeah. And, uh, we also had, uh, apparently like a couple of people started filtering in. They're like, Hey man, you got, you got protesters out there. There's like three people out there trying to lay hands on people and stuff like that as they're going in. And I'm like, ah, so I put down, immediately put down what I was doing and I tried to get the puppet on and go live off my phone to try to see the talk to these dudes and tell them to get the look on their face when they realize that they're protesting a puppet show <laughs> but sadly they were gone pretty much any any music promoter here in town can't say that they had a bomb threat or protesters at their event <laughs> what's the biggest confrontation you've had has that been it no i had uh <laughs> this guy messaged me and like threatened to kill me and my family, and man, I laughed my ass off. All like I just kept showing him, you know. Like he told me that his uncle worked for the FBI, and he was gonna find me using his uncle's FBI supercomputer. So someone sent me, and I'm while while I'm getting these messages, I'm screenshotting them and posting them on Facebook. <laughs> my friends are laughing their ass off, and they're like, somebody sent me a picture of uh, a CPU tower with a Superman logo on it. And he's like, there's his uncle's supercomputer. So I sent it to him and I was like, are you going to use this computer? <laughs> no, blah, blah, blah. And like, it just kept, it just kept <laughs> going and going and going. And finally, I, you know, he was like, quit messaging me, bro. I was like, quit messaging me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I get, I get a lot of that stuff 
all the time. One guy recently called me uh, because if you Google adult entertainment near me in Ohio, the Super Satan show comes up number 10, and they think I'm a porn store. So I get a lot of weird phone calls like that. But one guy actually called me, and he was like, uh, is this the Super Satan store? And I said, no, it's the, the Super Satan show. Uh, you're, you're calling a puppet show. It's, it's, you know, this is a puppet show. And he went, oh. Well, what you're doing is against God, and I renounce you in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I fell out. I laughed so hard. And finally, I was just like, okay, well, I'll, I'll tell my imaginary friend that your imaginary friend said that. And you have a good day, buddy, and hang up and hung up on him. So good. I wish I could record this stuff. I really do. It's, I- it's really great. I used to troll them when I was back in college. They would come on to campus, um, these uh, evangelists. There's one guy in particular, you know, I think he flew around the country in his private jet, but he like, (laughs) uh, he had this weird fixation on designer jeans. And he's like, what are they designed for? And, you know, invariably (laughs) someone would be like, sex. And he's like, yes. And he saw me with like my leather jacket and I had a chain on it. And he's like, I see that chain on your jacket. You're in bondage to the devil (laughs) and i was like so i started preaching right next to him and i was like agreeing with him so like i was like i was like yes yes i'm with you and and then he'd be like um he's like you know uh he'd be he'd say something to to people and i'd i'd be like hear the man speak you know and and if like he would talk about women's short skirts or something or they would walk by and I would be like, sluts, you know, <laughs> and then he's like, he, he turned to me at one point. He's like, no, I want to be asked back. And I'm like, he's like, and then eventually he's like, he's not with me. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am with you. You know? And yeah. he's like, he's like, you're like his flavor flav, bro. Yeah, I was his flavor flavor. Flavor. And he'd be like, yeah, he's yeah. like, he's like, are you, do you worship the Lord or do you worship the Lord pervert Mick Jagger? And <laughs> I'm like, it got to the point where like the there was quite the crowd gathered around, <laughs> and like eventually they came and they took him away. Um, so, okay, let's jump into the devils. Ken Russell. I don't even know where to begin. Can you tell, <laughs> can you tell us, Johanna, how how this movie came about? Sure. So the film is adapted from. Two different sources. One is the 1952 nonfiction book, The Devils of Loudon by Aldous Huxley, Brave New World Aldous Huxley. And there was a play version of Huxley's book that was created called The Devils, John Whiting's play from 1960. So it was a combination of those two sources that made the film leaning a little bit more heavily on Aldous Huxley in terms of tone because the play was actually a little bit sentimental, according to Ken Russell. What? Um, I know, yeah, right? Like, what? I, I'm, now I'm kind of curious, like, how do you Whoa. make this sentimental? Um, this story is based on true events, which once we get into the film, you'll see like, oh, okay, I could see some of this, but a lot of it is pretty over the top in in terms of the sexual content. And that is not front and center in Huxley's book. The film received an X rating in both the UK where, where it was filmed and in the United States, and it was banned in several countries and heavily edited for exhibition in others. 
despite that, and despite the fact that the Vatican tried to ban the film at the Venice Film Festival, it did win Best Director. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is considered one of Ken Russell's best films. Although it was pretty roundly condemned by all critics when it came out, which didn't phase the people involved in making it. One of the main actors, Alva Reed, stated, We never set out to make a pretty Christian film. Charlton Heston made enough of those. The film is about twisted people. And it certainly is. Judith Christ, a film critic, called it a grand fiesta for sadists and perverts. And Roger, Roger Ebert said um, that the film deserved a zero star rating and mocked it as being overly self-important. And it kind of disappeared for a while, but it's, it's come back um, and is now considered sort of this, like, weird classic in the Warner Brothers catalog, um, even to the point where in the latest Space Jam film, Space Jam A New Legacy, um, they brought out animated versions of characters from across the Warner Brothers canon, including a nun wearing the same habit that appears in this film. Whoa. So <laughs> Whoa. No yeah, way. I, I, I was like, oh boy. Um, That's weird. Space yeah. Jam. And you gotta beat. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. like, Someone, someone probably told uh, told them they're like, okay, uh, you know, we want uh, cameos by all the characters from Warner Brother, important Warner Brothers films, and then either One of the someone... animators had fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you <laughs> can like, specify. Right. Yeah, you yeah. just said so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you get when you let artists do the thinking, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ken Russell was really interested in the history and the story, but he didn't view this film as a film about religion. He said, when I first read the story, I was knocked out by it. It was just so shocking, and I wanted others to be knocked out by it, too. I felt I had to make it. And he said, actually, that he was a devout Catholic, very secure in his faith, and that he wasn't trying to make a pornographic film, wasn't trying to make a religious film. He was trying to make a political film about the dangers of brainwashing and mob mentality, mm -hmm. which. It all hits pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he definitely hit that. hits. Yeah. Hit those yeah. Marks, he definitely yeah. hits those notes. And the film has a lot of parallels to the crucible. Yes. Sort of the themes in the play. I don't think there's really anything about the film that I would say reminds me of the film, The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis and Winona Ryder. But some of the look and feel of this film does call back to other movies that were set during this time period and had similar themes like Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc had very spare sets that were just, you know, like plaster and gray skies and basically nothing else and so there are some some spare elements of the film that call back to that the cityscape um has some call like some resonance with fritz lang's metropolis which given sort of the political message kind of makes sense to draw from there but one of the things that the film is most noted for is one of the scenes that was deleted from the original version and reinstalled in the director's cut. Uh, am I allowed to to ruin this part? Because I don't know if I don't know if it even shows up in the versions that the three of us watched today. It didn't show up in the version I watched. Well, there's a couple. There's a, but are we talking about the rape of Christ, or are we talking? I'm talking about, about the rape of Christ. Oh, yeah. okay. the rape I, of I, Christ. I, yes. 
All right. Yeah. No. Wow. Wow, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Go, so, go for it. Yeah. So that scene was deleted in the theatrical version of the film. No kidding. Um, but Russell actually believed that like cutting that scene ruins the entire film. Apparently, like the whole message of it is hangs on that film uh, on that scene, which, uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if I see it that way, but I thought it was an interesting claim. It's so, a metaphor um, for what's going on in general. Yeah, you kind of. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, it is. It you it it shows how buck fucking wild everybody was at that point. It was so they're ripped up. They're whipped up into this religious fervor, and you know. Well, I don't even know. I can't even describe it. It's so crazy and over the top, you know. I think also what's going on in the Catholic Church at the time with Cardinal Richelieu seizing power and the witch finders and betrays the very tenets of Christianity. So I think that the point he's trying to make, it's they're literally raping Christianity as an idea. You know, they're not actually true Christians, you know. So I think that that's... That's it's like important part of the film. I saw it with it in without having to watch it separately uh, in the version I watched. But yeah. Well, so that's that's one of the scenes that really only recently has been put back together with the film when it was re-released in 1973, sort of actually going along with the release of The Exorcist. Warner Brothers recut an R version of the film, which additionally removes some of the lesbian content. And um, mm, yeah, some yeah. some of the gorier torture scenes. So this film has been through the ringer in terms of censorship, which it makes it kind of an interesting film to be talking about around now when religious censorship of especially sex related content is extremely relevant right now. So I had that in my head while I was watching this sort of knowing that that's always been a thing though you know always even yeah. even in this what, what what was the year of that movie 1634 right <laughs> i mean the catholic church has made it their business to make you feel bad about getting a boner okay <laughs> and yeah. you know oh feel bad feel oh you know who else would like to got the boner jesus but look at him he's dead up on that cross he can't get a boner and neither should you so yeah i uh, where do I, I this movie this movie touched a lot of fucking no-no places on me and uh <laughs> like yeah uh, where do I begin you know well Shit. I wanted to speak about a, a scene out of context real quick too because before I forget because you mentioned the exorcist and how this came out a couple years before the exorcist there's a spider walk scene the infamous spider walk yeah, scene yeah, from yeah, the yeah, exorcist yeah, I'm like right. yeah I they must have ripped it off from here, right? Because it's like, it's too weird to be a coincidence. Yeah. So right. I think that uh, Friedkin probably like got it from this movie, you know? Anyway. You think, you think she she was old enough to watch this movie <laughs> at the time? <laughs> what kind of weird parents did she have? Wow. <laughs> it opens with the court of Louis Thirteenth. And basically, we immediately find out that there is this Protestant versus Catholic thing going on at the time. And although this is during the Renaissance, 
it's positively medieval in most places. They're walled cities, and one of them is Ludan. And basically, the Catholic Church, well, Cardinal Richelieu in specific, who people who are fans of either the Three Musketeers or Monty Python are already familiar with, perennial villain Cardinal Richelieu, <laughs> he is trying to get Louis XIII to get all these towns to, like, remove their walls. And Loudun is the last holdout. The king has made promises to them that they're going to be allowed to keep their wall. Grandier is in charge. Grandier, yeah. Yeah. He's a priest. He is having an affair with the uh, daughter of another. Her dad's like a nobleman. A noble priest under him, I believe it's his niece or something like that, or cousin. He's a family member, the the guy with the the bull haircut, right? The, right. the other, the priest, yeah. right? Who probably wanted to be the head priest too. Well, he knocks her up like right from the beginning. That sets him up for what's going to happen next. And then, meanwhile, there's this nunnery, and the mother superior is this hunchbacked woman who is incredibly strict, but also incredibly sexually repressed. So all the nuns want to go see Grandier when he comes through because he's a good-looking guy with a good-looking mustache and all of that. <laughs> Yet she sees this and sends them all to do their chores and stuff like that, but then she continues to um, touch herself while watching him. Has yeah. a weird vision, like, wow. <laughs> this is this is when we get introduced to Gemma Jones, right? The young, innocent daughter of one of the sick folk that he heals. And it's kind of interesting. Like, we get two sides of Grandier. Like, he's both a philandering kind of a douchebag, but then also has some genuine human sympathy for other people. And he manages to at least give this woman a somewhat peaceful death, like ends the torture and the daughter falls instantly in love with him. The chemist yeah. and the, the physician are like torturing this poor woman. And he comes in, he basically throws them out, thus setting up another enemy of the main character, Grandier. Yeah. And we've talked about medieval medicine on this show before, where it's like, I've referenced the Saturday Night Live sketch with uh, Steve Martin, who's like, what you need is a bleeding, uh, you know, and get right, the leeches. Right. Like I'm already bleeding, and they're like, ah ha ha! Now who's the barber? You know, <laughs> and like, and like my favorite part of the medieval medicine part of this. There's all the regular medieval medicine crap, like that they're trying, you know. Uh, but then they have this crocodile. Yeah, <laughs> so making this yes. woman like, lay on a crocodile. Crocodile on the leg, and then they throw. He like throws the crocodile at the window, and they're like, "No, not the crocodile!" <laughs> <laughs> and that crocodile will come back because later on, he's downstairs and he gets into like this sword fight. Yeah, against the noble, nobleman. The nobleman. And the nobleman's got a sword, and he picks up the crocodile and starts swinging it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like. Okay, this movie took a weird turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to add this to my new rock, paper, scissors game. There's also yeah. like sword crocodile. and crocodile. Crocodile beats sword. Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, every time one of these weird scenes happens, the soundtrack changes from its normal musical score to this weird avant-garde jazz. Yes, did, did I you noticed notice that? that. Yeah, what's that about? Yeah, I have no idea. Was... 
<laughs> jazz is the weird. devil? Is, this, is it this again? I guess yes, jazz it, is the devil. Yeah. Yes, jazz is the devil. Yes, clearly. As, as we learned last week. Yeah, jazz is <laughs> the devil's music. <laughs> so the mother superior is jealous of this wonderful, innocent daughter from the beginning when she shows up to the convent and wants to be admitted one of the things that was unclear to me and maybe the two of you can clean this up is it implied that grandier sleeps with this girl like immediately or no no not no she 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 goes to the nunnery first and the mother just because she's orphaned like that is right yes genuine about that yeah Yeah. she's yeah she doesn't have any family she doesn't have any place to go so the mother superior gives her uh, a book that the founder of the order wrote with their tenants in it. And she was like, read it and come back and then she'll test you. Yeah. She shows up at Grandier's house looking for work or something. I don't know what, why she showed up there other than he was the only other nice person to her as far as the movie lets you know. She shows up there and Grandier immediately tells her, Joining the nunnery is stupid. Stay here. Or I'll put you to work. You know, I got to go give mass. See you later. And I guess hangs out there for a little while. And then while he's at mass, he's dealing with the nobleman's daughter that he had knocked up. While she's like, help me, help me. And he's, you know, an asshole and just says, eh, sorry. You must, what did he say? You must endure your cross. With Christian fortitude, my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, yeah, um, which I thought was pretty funny. By the way, the order that they're from is Ursuline. St. Ursula is the patron of this nunnery. Well, apparently all all these girls need to be locked up in a building because that's what these nuns were. They were cloistered. They didn't go outside. They didn't have any outside. That's why they were all sexually repressed because they were locked up and couldn't actually like see people yeah this is and fucking weird sister jean de agnes who is the mother superior actually at one point in time says that most of them didn't join this order because they were devout, devout. catholics yeah. or right something like no, that. But no no it's just that their family couldn't get up a dowry or couldn't get them or, married off so like or they had a humpback like this poor woman or, did yeah, and yeah in her case there's still one more enemy to be introduced the baron the baron yeah who shows up to oversee the demolition of the walls yeah to tear down the city walls and it's at that point grandier comes out with the city guard and tells him not to if they do anything else they're going to get killed and yeah he makes this great speech well and this is where the parallels to the crucible and the salem witch trials really shows through the accusations of witchcraft and debauchery like that yeah there's possibly some overtones of sexual impropriety somewhere but that it's really about land that it's it's really about who gets to control the land and using witchcraft as an excuse to take land away or power over land from someone else that's still playing out here in new england where i live Everybody knows about the Salem witches who were exonerated, but the actual families who are descended from other witch trials, we only had one witch trial 
that's documented in Vermont. And she was not found to be a witch because she sank when they threw her in the river. Um, <laughs> so, so if you float, you're a witch. Yeah. If, so, yeah, if you float like a duck, you're a witch. I mean, Monty so she Python sank, taught so, us that. Yeah, she sank, so she was not a witch. But uh, in uh, throughout the rest of Massachusetts, not not Salem, where that's mostly been resolved. All of them have been exonerated, I think, at this point in time. The last one, like, a year ago or something, you know? Yeah. Wow. Um, but other parts of Massachusetts and Connecticut in particular, they're still, like, battling it out in court and stuff like that about these witch trials that happened in the 1600s. And, you know, because a lot of times they're used as an excuse to take their land and things like that. Which of course they took from the Indians to begin with, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That that case is still pending in court too. <laughs> so, side note: I recently went to Salem about a month ago, and if you ever have a chance to go to the Salem Witch Museum, I highly recommend it. I think the museum must have been set up about the same time that the film The Devils came out. There's definitely a mid-70s vibe to the place. Nice. So the way the museum works, it's not like a museum with exhibits. It's an auditorium that you go sit in, and there are wax figures all around you in various scenes related to the witch trials, and there's a narrator, also clearly recorded in the 70s, and during this narration track, the various scenes light up in bright red while you're supposed to be looking at them. But the interpretation they give of the events is that the Salem witch trials were caused by the fact that girls had extremely limited lives and just had to stay home and do their chores all day. And so they invented all of this just as something to do. <laughs> and it's like... They sort of vaguely reference, like, yeah, there was some land, but it's like, really, these little girls, like, someone should have been, you know, giving them a book or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to where we're at. The town guards and Grandier, they stand up to the Baron, but he tells them he's going to be back. As all good villains should. <laughs> yeah. And then Grandier gets married in secret to... Debrew? Yeah. Debrew, yeah, Debrew. yeah. Yeah. But it is witnessed by someone at the back of the church. And uh, word gets out, at least to the mother superior, who is infatuated with him. 1632 stalker. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know... uh you know, Grandier's a rock star in that town, you know. But very dedicated stalking. Yeah, dedicated stalking because she can't leave. Like, she's stalking him from one spot. And he's Which is weird. <laughs> Which is weird, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, very determined stalking. I imagine she probably had people that came to that little barred window that people would come to to talk to her. Talking cinematically about the film, some of my favorite things were her little room with the bars. Right? Um, Yeah, a a cell, a monastic cell. Yeah, and just like how she kind of like curls up there to look at the outside world. Like cinematically it was cool. And her visions were also well done of like Grandier walking across the water and like him coming down from the cross and the love scene. Like those, those sequences were really well done. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, they were pretty cool. The father tells the mother superior that Grandier was married and 
she freaks the hell out. Yeah, yeah. They need a new confessor, right? Yeah. So the sister writes to Grandier to invites him to come and be their confessor. You don't see the reply. They just send the second guy the who hates Grandier. Guy. The bowl cut guy who hates Grandier shows up and she's super disappointed and makes up this crazy ass story about how Grandier and six of his creatures come and molest her and her sisters, you know, every night or whatever it was. This is the evidence they're looking for. Yeah. This is exactly what they're looking for. So they, the priest goes back to the doctor, the baron, and the chemist, and the noble guy who, what did he say? I would like to join as a disinterested party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I would like to join as a disinterested party, you know, even though he you knocked up my daughter. I'm yeah. disinterested. Yeah. And that's where they all come up with this plan to, to stick it to Grandier. Yeah, and then we get the exorcism scene. Woo! So they call in the witch hunter. What is his name? Father Pierre Barr, or Barry. Knockoff Guy Pierce was how I had him in my notes. (laughs) Yeah, so they have this long torture scene. Woo! Uh, I don't know what (laughs) yours was like, what your uh, cuts that you guys saw was, but... It was hard to watch. Um, it was uh, like right around the the steaming hot water enema they were going to give her. That was when I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to see this. Yeah, that they did. Man, I wasn't even sure what some of the stuff they would squirt into these people is. It's like, what is that green stuff? I have no clue. You know, and really, really cartoonishly sized injection things too. Yeah. It was like. Uh... Like, whoa, what the fuck is this, man? (laughs) I mean, it's huge. It would fill up their entire body. So, of course, she eventually confesses that it was, in fact, Grandier who did this horrible thing. Yeah. So now they arrest him to stand trial. But to to sweeten the, the deal, to, you know, make the accusation stick, they convinced all of the nuns to just go totally apeshit. And and go full full nun orgy. Yeah, yeah full nun orgy. Man. Full nun orgy. Yeah. Well, it was either that, or they 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 convict you of heresy, and they shoot you. <laughs> they shoot you with an arrow. <laughs> Torture the shit out of you first to get you to confess some more uh, to what what you don't know. I think they were just in it because, like, yeah, this is their moment. They don't often get to have fun and you know it's like you said right. about the the girls in salem it's just like oh they never get out so it's like okay this is our one chance to have fun nuns gone wild baby nuns, <laughs> nuns gone wild exactly <laughs> then they have this trial yeah trial in quotes <laughs> yeah where he's judged by the clan <laughs> yeah, yes. they've got these hoods. This looks like KKK hoods, it you know. Looks like, yeah, it totally looks like a clan meeting happening there, you know. They shave his head. They put him on trial. Break to, his legs up real good. But he never backs down. He, he maintains his innocence all the way to the end. So they basically sentence him to be burned at the stake. Which, this is one of the most graphic burning at the stake scenes I've, I've yeah. found in film. Because... Yeah, Passion of Joan of Arc is not this graphic at all. So this was something. I've seen a couple that have been 
I think on par with this, but this one's pretty bad. Yeah. The executioner promises him that, you know, he's going to, you know, strangle him, yeah. strangle, him, strangle yeah, him, yeah, strangle him with the noose. That doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> they lied to even the executioner. Like they lied to everybody else and they, uh, they, they set fire to him. Um, right up to the final minute, he never backs down. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's telling, he's yelling at the crowd to look at themselves and, realize what's actually happening here and but yeah. it's lost in the in the jeering of because everybody likes a burning there was no internet back then so <laughs> that was big doings you know burn it burn it somebody he dies the witch hunter moves on the mother superior Jean de agnes she recants and so at that point they throw her in the insane asylum but they give her a femur to play with they give yeah. her a femur that looks like Grandier's like, bone. Looks like a lot like a dildo. And uh Yeah, yeah. They it's off camera, but we're pretty sure she masturbates with She totally girl. does, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah she Come does. Come on, it's 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 Albert Hitch it's the Albert Hitchcock of masturbation. It's it's to get you to think she's doing it, you know what I mean, without actually showing it to you. I looked away because it looked kind of sharp to me, and so I had I had flashbacks to uh, Seven. That was oh, I was yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did look sharp, but uh, she, yeah, she, she's that. And then um, they blow up the walls. Yes, uh, they, they, the as walls. soon as as soon as he's like charred black, they boom, the walls go up. Which apparently, uh, but they had to do that twice because uh, the they blew them up too early. Oh really? Yeah, in the in the documentary, the making of or whatever. I watched the documentary. The Baron steps into into camera frame and gives the signal, but apparently, right as they he he didn't even get into camera frame, and they just blew up the walls. They're lucky they were able to rebuild them and redo that. But yeah, they had to come back a month later and reshoot that whole that reshoot it again. Because, yeah, that was not shot at Pinewood Studios like a lot of the other stuff in this. That was on location. So, yeah. yeah. this was one of the biggest sets they'd ever done. Yeah, it was like, a big set. Yeah. Yeah. Cleopatra was, like, the biggest up until this one, I think. Jason, what did you think? What Like, tell us about your viewing experience. You had a buddy watching it with you, doing laundry, all that. I don't know if you knew what you were getting into or not, but go for it. Well, I okay. So, at first, I couldn't watch it like the link you sent me didn't work so i was like well okay i'll just look at some of these deleted scenes and i was like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. yikes <laughs> oh and, 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 and like again I'm, I'm getting all this out of context so i was like okay this is like because i saw like grandier's bone mm. and uh the rape of christ and like i was like what wow this is pretty wild okay um so I like started looking up YouTube clips and, and like I was like, oh, OK, I was getting the idea of getting a feel for the movie. And then I actually got to watch it on a like my buddy's got a really big TV and nice sound system. So we watched it on that. And man, like I said, it touched a not a lot of no, no places on me. Like I'm very I, I'm, I'm against religion personally. I don't uh, you know, I, I could go on and on about that, but I won't. Uh, yeah, it just, yeah, it was a crazy movie. It was a good movie, though. It was. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, turning me on to it. What did your uh, your buddy think of it? He thought it was weird and crazy. He likes weird, crazy movies, too. 
but yeah, he thought it was crazy, and it was like, uh, what did we just watch? I was like, <laughs> an, another reason for me to hate the church, you know. <laughs> There, and you know, I'm gonna put that in one of my in my movies to hate things too. Like when I want to hate white people, I pull up a uh, little big man. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, one. It's one of those movies, you know. Yeah. So yeah, you you've just re just re reaffirmed my my faith in not faith. <laughs> your faith in not faith. Okay, uh, Johanna, what was your reaction to this one? Um. I was surprised how much I liked it. I haven't seen a lot of X-rated films, but I I enjoyed. Um, I mean, the the cinematography is great. The music is interesting. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Crucible, so the parallels with that I really enjoyed. And it also reminded me of this awesome gothic novel called The Monk which I highly recommend, but it's, um, it's by Matthew Lewis. I don't think there is a film adaptation or if there is, it is not one that is acclaimed or easy to find, but the monk is amazing. Definitely. You should, you should read it. But the main character is this depraved monk who is lusting after this pure, innocent young girl. And he makes a deal with the devil in order to, be able to sleep with her and i i won't say any more than that but uh but this draws a lot from that kind of gothic element which i also enjoyed i don't know if i can recommend this film to anybody i know but i'm glad i saw it <laughs> the uh, the monk by the way is in the public domain it was written a long time ago and uh i have it on my phone actually i it, intend to read it next so um i'm glad you threw that out there yeah, there's a great line in it where he's describing like the moonlight landing on. So the devil comes to him in the form of a woman named uh, Matilda, I think. And he describes like, and the moonlight landed on her breast. And oh, what a breast. <laughs> <laughs> like it's that kind of book. Well, I picked this for a reason. It had been on my list forever, but I did not want to watch it until I could get a hold of an uncut version of it. And... All these years later, one has finally emerged. It's making the rounds, you know, mostly bootleg. I think even Warner's official one isn't. I think there might even be a Criterion version of this that is not uncut. So you got to really look around to find the full thing. But I finally said, all right, I'm in. I'm not tired of waiting now that there's, you know, after all these decades, someone has gone and put this stuff back together. I'm going to check it out. I don't think it'll be a frequent watch on my shelf, you know, it's like kind of close to that 12 years a slave category where it's, like, uh, you know, I, I feel I, good I, movie of the year, yeah. <laughs> but I do think I might revisit it at some point in the future. I love stuff set in the middle ages novel. This is supposed to be the Renaissance. It's pretty much medieval throughout most of it. I thought it was great. I definitely give this one a thumbs up. However, it, it isn't for everybody. You know, it's definitely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Before we go, I wanted to ask, do you have any uh, any upcoming shows or upcoming uh, bands uh, on uh, the Super Satan show we should check out? I try to put something out at least every week. Things are kind of weird right now because of transition between editors and stuff. But uh, I put something out every week. Uh, I'm actually having a show at Southgate House Revival December 23rd. Tentatively, I'm calling it Santa Hane the Christmasing the Makeup Sex Show because... What? (laughs) 
Uh, la- okay, last Christmas I had this show, I had this show booked, but it snowed really bad. It got like negative twenty three below. The roads the roads froze over. Nobody was getting anywhere. So this year I want to have a a flyer with all that information on it, but the word sex comma show really big on the flyer. So when you're driving down the street, you'll just see this sign that says sex show. And it'll catch your eye. You think that's going to limit the number of pervert calls you get? <laughs> uh, I imagine it will increase it. <laughs> I may have to get a secretary to take all the calls. <laughs> I want to let everybody know if you want to uh, write to us, you can. It's GC8 Podcast, all one word, letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Johanna. I'm Jason Staley. Signing off. Sir, this is a puppet show. We're calling a puppet show. <laughs>